You're listening to the Dirty Dozen Podcast, episode number 28. This week's artist, Rush. Normally, I start listing a bunch of bands, songs here in a quasi-story, but I'm going to break with that tradition. The day I heard the news about Neil Peart, I was actually reading his book. I had just started that morning, Roadshow, not knowing the news yet. As a fan of the band, it hit me surprisingly hard, and I felt melancholy for at least a few days afterward. Neil, you'll be missed. I actually held this podcast back a week or two for the fan community to grieve and not to be like the other swarms of people trying to capitalize what is clearly a tragedy. So, that said, it's time to join your hosts, Rob Heitman and special guest host, Alan Campbell. Hey, Alan. Welcome to the Dirty Dozen Podcast, where we'll rank the Dirty Dozen or Top 12 Rush songs while discussing their music and pounding back a few brews. I'm Rob. And I'm Alan. Hey. I'd like to thank everybody who's been active and joining in on our Facebook page. Sorry we've been away for a while, but we're back and excited to talk about one of my favorite bands, Rush. Although, obviously, we started doing this podcast before the news of Neil Peart hit, and uh, it it puts this little somber overtone to this, just a little bit. Uh, But it's such a great band, and I don't want to lose that either. Very sad news about Neil's passing. Rush has has been one of my favorite bands for a long time, and I was really sad to hear about that. Yeah, it was funny. When I was reading the book, it's very insightful, not necessarily if you want a behind-the-scenes look at Rush, but it's behind-the-eyes look at Neil. You know what I mean? It's It's the introvert. It's the person who's nervous about meeting new people or being awkward or doing all that and it's really worth a read if you want to really understand the man and i think when you finish it you will why he was kind of shy from the spotlight and why he wasn't signing autographs all the time and out in public and he dealt with a lot of tragedy too in his life uh the name of the book is roadshow by neil peart landscape and drums a concert tour by motorcycle really worth a read so alan tell me how the music of rush impacted the world of alan campbell Well, you know, I can't really point to one time or one event. I became aware of Rush kind of gradually just by hearing the songs played on the radio. What was the first Rush song you remembered hearing? It was probably Working Man or Fly By Night. But it was the songs on the album's Permanent Waves and Moving Pictures that really caught my attention. And when I gave it a close listen, I realized how good these guys are. And I became a fan. Yeah, they're excellent. I mean, I came to it like many in my age group because I was growing up in high school in the 80s. I came to it in moving pictures and in right. that space, right? I think I heard people play Tom Sawyer for me before I heard Tom Sawyer on its own. Right. Does that makes sense? I, it was a cover band in my high school, like Battle of the Bands. And they played it. I said, what was that? That was amazing. I love it. And they, oh, yeah, this Rush. And I'm like, oh. And then I started getting into it and boom, boom, boom. It must have been a good band if they did that song justice. Yeah, they did to my naive ears. Right. Listening to it now, I'd be listening for the drummer. I'm a guitar player, so my ear tends to go to guitar generally. But if I slip to bass, listen to what Getty does, I slip to drums, listen to what Neil does. It's so phenomenal. And And I can listen to a song three times with three different focuses and be blown away every time. And hear something new every time. Yeah, yeah. But getting back to the point, when I was young and I first heard it, I wasn't listening for that stuff. It was definitely a departure from everything. I was like a Judas Priest, Iron Maiden, Kiss <laughs> at the time, but I've been a fan ever since. You know what time it is now? It's time for beer. Well, beer, we've had some great times. When I was 17... I drank some very good beer. I drank some very good beer. I purchased with a fake ID. My name was Brian McGee. I stayed up listening to Queen when I was 17. We wanted to pay tribute to Rush with some good Canadian beer. So with that in mind, the beer that we'll be discussing this week is 
Moosehead Canadian Lager. Uh, straight from the wilds of Canada. It actually, it gives me a taste that's very reminiscent. It reminds me of a German lager. It's It has that sort of almost a, a Bex-ish taste or uh, better yet, Dortmunder, right? It's just a good traditionally made lager that tastes great. So if you like something that's a little bit more traditionally made, I think this is a good fit. Moosehead Lager, what do you think? It's a good beer. Uh, it's a little on the sweet side uh, compared to, I think, uh, European beers like Heineken or St. Pauli Girl, but it's good. Sure. Yeah. And now that I'm thinking about it and I'm kind of listening to what you said and I'm like, I'm getting a little bit more of that sugar in it and I mm-hmm. didn't really get that initially. Yeah. Uh, that said, I just had a milk stout before I had this, so <laughs> maybe I, that is part of my uh, my my taste profile. I had just regular milk. There you go. So it's almost the same thing we had. <laughs> before we begin, we'll be critically reviewing the songs we'll share under 15 seconds of each tune, unless there is a specific issue of criticism that we may need to highlight. Then we may do a second clip. We have made Apple Music and Spotify playlists. Just search Official Dirty Dozen on either service to listen to our list in their entirety. This way, all the money for playing tunes will always head back to Rush. We've also created a current episode Dirty Dozen podcast playlist, which will automatically update with each podcast to the current podcast, so you can subscribe once and always be updated. In addition, today we're going to be doing something slightly different. In the past, if... I had a song on my list, and let's just say Alan had a song on his list, and mine was number 12, his was number 2. We would talk about it twice. We may actually play it as two separate clips. It would extend the podcast, I think, a little bit too long. So what we're going to do today is we'll talk about it when it first comes up in its entirety, and then when it comes to number 2, Alan will say, well, that was my song. And then we'll, if there's an issue with him putting it up that high, we may talk about it. Otherwise, we'll just move on because we've already talked about the song. In the interest of time. So, Alan, what is your song of note? My song of note is from the very first Rush album titled Rush, released in 1974. The band had been together for about five or six years by then, and they are a tight band. They've played tons of gigs in Canada with original drummer John Rutsey. But this first album is the only Rush album that he played on. Now, as a drummer, Rutsey is no Neil Peart, but he is a good drummer. And at times, he reminds me of Keith Moon, which makes sense because Geddy Lee has said in in response to Rush, Rush being labeled progressive rock that they didn't think of themselves that way. They saw themselves as following in the footsteps of 60s bands like The Who and Cream, hard rock bands that are instrumentally three piece. And you can hear that on this first album, that that's the direction they're pointed in. A lot of riffing with obvious roots in the blues. It's funny how how different the band was initially, right? Uh, it started with Finding My Way, right off the bat, and it's the nod to Zeppelin yeah. in, in the way they went about it. Mm-hmm. And in fact, when first the song started hitting, hitting the airwaves, a lot of people said, what's that new Zeppelin album? <laughs> Because, you know, Finding My Way, if you just play that without saying anything, he sings it just like Robert Plant. He does all that stuff, and it's great. And even with Working Man, there are some throwbacks to it. The second solo that, that Lifeson does, it has that page sort of influence. Not, right. the, not the first little one, but the, the one where it really kicks in. The bridge hook is, it's the, the layering of the guitar and the bass doing the same line, which they'll do forever. Mm-hmm. Uh Obviously, John was just kind of going straight. You kind of miss. It's like, what would Neil have done with this song? And if you've seen them live or if you've watched any of the videos of them playing live, you'll see what he does with that song, Mm -hmm. right? Working Man, they may play full, but Finding My Way, if they play it, it's in a medley. Right. I'm guessing at this point, your song of note is Working Man? Right. Uh, The reason why this is my song of note and not on my Dirty Dozen list, because it's good enough to be on my Dirty Dozen sure. list. It's a great song. but Some re- argue it should be. The reason is because of the two very different drummers. Sure, I, sure. I kind of see the two versions of Rush as um, two different bands with the same name. Okay. But still, I wanted to give props to the, the John Rutsey version of Rush. Yep. 
And I think that even in the opening riff of Working Man, I will listen to it in a second. It almost reminds me of like a, a Sabbath kind of riff. To your point, it's not the rush we would find down the road. Mm. And rush, I don't think even when Neil joined the band, they found that initially in Fly By Night or whatever. It was a progression, and obviously a progressive yeah. band, that they went through it and they kind of found their space. And one thing that sure. has remained constant through both drummers' versions of the band is the riffing. These guys are riff masters. They just riff all over the place. No doubt. And they're great at it. Here's Working Man, Alan's Song of Note. <laughs> Okay, that was Alan's song of note, Working Man. So I guess I'm up to my song of note. <laughs> and my song of note, I know Alan will not have on his list. There's zero chance. Because I picked it specifically because Alan wouldn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> and it's also a song that, that that's out there. It's Rush stepping out and doing something that they're stretching on. Initially, it didn't work, but it's amazing how they can take something that's not working on my first hear. And when you see them in concert, they save it. My song of note is off of Roll the Bones in 91. The title track, Roll the Bones. And the reason I know Alan loves it is because they have a rap section in it. <laughs> that, that, <clears throat> that was an experiment they tried. And uh, it was just, you know, it was a sign of the times, I guess. And it starts with like the synth stab and the forward modern bass. And it's almost like an in excess sort of guitar playing by Lifeson. And that's the way I kind of felt it. It has the 80s feel, even though the vocal line by Getty is slightly subdued and not as soaring or high as he normally does. Chorus is really catchy. Why we're here is because we're here, roll the bones, roll the bones, right? The acoustic on the chorus, this little switch is good. The solo, it gives you the only slightest indication that Alex is playing. I mean, it's, it's so different from what you would expect. It's different. For me, the first time I heard the rap section, when he goes, you dig, and he starts to go, blah, 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 you know, they start going through it, and we'll listen to it in a second. It was painful. It was almost out of place. But what they did live just blew me away. They took celebrities. Uh, who was all on there? Let me see. Yeah, we had Les Claypool, Peter Dinklage from Game of Thrones, Paul Rudd. A couple other people, the guy from uh, Office Space, the guy who they stole the stapler from. I don't know his name. He was on it. The Red Stapler. Yeah, the Red Stapler. They lip-synced the rap on a big screen during the concert, and everybody laughed, and everybody had a good time with it. So it pulled something out of what I thought was awkward and weird and made it almost a highlight of the concert in that weird sort of way that Rush can do. So Roll the Bones, it's just sort of take your chances, go live your life. Mm -hmm. Roll the Bones, roll the dice, move. Right. Take your risk. Take your go chance. Go for it, yeah. Oh, I almost forgot. This podcast called The Tapes Archive puts out these old interviews, and they had this 1991 interview with uh, Neil Peart on it, and they t discussed the rap briefly in it. So I'm just going to take the slightest sliver of that, but I'll put a link to the full podcast so you can hear the entire interview in the notes. So let's take a listen. As you'll understand, I think from a writing point of view, I want to do it because it's so much fun. Yeah. I, I was hearing some of the better rap music and, and I was thinking that, uh, you know, when it is creative, it, it's a lot of fun to do. So I actually gave the song to the guys without that section and then later came to them. I, I have this little thing, you know, tell me what you, maybe this is crazy, but tell me what you think about it. Unfortunately, they were uh, open enough to, to be experimental with it. So, uh, any other thoughts on Roll of Bones? Let's hear it. Okay. Now, you can hear that in the beginning. That really does sound like NXS to me. The, yeah, the, it does. The drums are Absolutely. very... That's when Neil was on the electronic drums mm -hmm. and all that stuff. So, it really has that sort of vibe. So let's roll into 
the Dirty Dozen. I normally Alan goes first, but today I'm gonna go first. All right. My number twelve is Working Man off of Rush. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> so I just had to include it. It's it really made the band. Without Working Man, Rush doesn't exist. Rush doesn't exist with Neil Peart. It's the song that made them. So it's number 12. We talked about it already. We listened to it already. So let's go to your number 12 and your number 11. My number 12 is Between the Wheels from the Grace Under Pressure album released in 1984. Synthesizers are big and bold and dominant in this tune. Starting with the intro, it kind of hits you between the eyes and continues into the verses. The pre-choruses are nice and drivey, typical rush. But what I love is the contrast between the in-your-face synthesizers with the minor-type feel in the verses and the echoey-sounding, tug-on-your-heartstrings, 80s chord progression in the choruses. I'm a sucker for that kind of thing. The whole song just kind of grabs your attention and invites you to listen and one of the reasons it appeals to me is that I just think this song would be a ton of fun to play. <laughs> Between the Wheels. Uh, I mean, it's a good song. I didn't see it up at that level. I mean, there, if you want the keyboard songs, I think there's a couple I would have put. Well, I did. <laughs> put, so did I. Put up, yeah. So oh, maybe that's you have more of that in there. So that's interesting. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, you know, Another Lost Generation is that quote from... Ernest Hemingway in the beginning of The Sun Also Rises. It's a good tune. Let's listen. Here's Between the Wheels. Alan's number 12. That was Between the Wheels. Alan's number 12. It has a lot of movement in it. I'm not as big a fan of the lyric or the vocal performance in that, but the music side is really good. I totally agree with that. Okay. Uh, What do you have at number 11? My number 11 is also from Grace Under Pressure, Distant Early Warning. Oh, good. Yeah, I like that song. By 1984, we're fully into the so-called keyboard period of Rush. And right off the bat in this song, the keyboards just sound majestic. Guitars have lots of echo and delay, and they're all over the stereo spectrum. Really nice balance of guitars and keys in this song. The choruses have this sense of urgency that compels you to listen. The guitars and drums drive the song. I love the double time at the end. Big song, big sound, kind of picks you up and carries you along with it. It's not clear what the lyrics are about, but I wonder... It might have something to do with Canada's geographical position during the Cold War, directly between the USA and the USSR on the polar route where the missiles would have been flying. Not exactly a comfortable position to be in, I would think. It's interesting, Peart, (laughs) when asked about it, he said that the song is a a series of things. Certainly one is the idea of living in the modern world where, I'll, I'll quote him, Basically, in all its manifestations, in terms of distance from us to the threat of the superpowers and nuclear annihilation, to what you're saying, and all that stuff, giant missiles pointing at each other across the ocean. Yeah. But it tends to have a bit of distance from people's lives. At the same time, I think it's omnipresent, you know. I think that the threat does loom somewhere in everybody's subconscious, perhaps. And then it deals with some closer things in terms of relationships and how to keep a relationship in such a swift-moving world. And it has to do with our peculiar lives, dealing with revolving doors, going in and out. And I also think that's true with people in the modern world, where things for people are very difficult. And consequently, the work and mundane concerns of life seem to take precedence over important values and relationships in a larger world, in the world of the abstract, opposed to the concrete. Anyway, (laughs) so if if you can follow that, that that was his exact words on that. There you go. Oh, man. It's a really good song. I like that. Let's take a listen to Distant Early Warning off of Grace on the Breath. Okay, that's Distant Early Warning off of Grace Under Pressure. Alan's number 11. So you sticked with uh, 12 and 11 off the same album. That's interesting. Those are the only two, I'm afraid. Okay, that's fine. My number 11, we already did my 12, so I'll do my 11 and 10, is off of Fly By Night. 
and it's not the title track. It's Anthem, which is one of the heavier Rush songs. The intro is really, really good. When the guitar comes in with that bright tone contrasting the opening feel, I really love that sound. I love, they do a lot of hard stops in this song, and they have that echoing tape delay, that the original tape delay, it's like the real thing. This is back in 75. The solo is good. They have some guitar doubling, which they do on the album, which he obviously doesn't do live. The drum mini solo at the end is great. It's the first song on Fly By Night, and it's that intro to Neil. Here he is. This is the first song. This is it. It has to do with a science fiction story by Anne Rand. And actually, 2012 later is also based on that same story. Mm -hmm. They actually took a lot of flack for being associated with Anne Rand because it tends to be a conservative space, even though that's not who, especially after reading the book, that's not at all who Neil is. And her philosophy had, uh, there was a lot of wisdom in it, but at the same time, it offended just about everybody. Sure, sure. Inherently. Yeah. So, any thoughts on Anthem? No, I think you pretty much covered it. Okay, cool. Let's listen to Anthem, my number 11. Yeah, and it does a bunch of hard stops throughout the song. And you hear that tape? Yeah, the, the echo. tape delay going. And they do it vocally later too, and it's really good. And it's the preciseness of it. And when you deal with three people playing, it's much easier to do that. But yeah. it's it's something I really love. It's a great head banging song. It is. Okay, my number ten is off of a 1976 album by Rush called Twenty One Twelve. A Passage to Bangkok is my uh, number ten. The hook has a Eastern feel, although I don't like the album where they go dun 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 dun, dun that part. But I do like it when they do it live because Neil plays it on the drums and it's much better. It is way way better live. Right. The, the live version off of the retrospective, I think it's called yeah. collection. Yeah. Yeah, it's really good. And when I've seen it, it's just, it's fantastic. Chorus is catchy, instantly memorable. The vocal line and the harmonies doubled with guitar, and the guitar is doubled in harmony mm-hmm. during that, and it's fantastic. The solo is good. Interesting. You can hear Getty playing rhythm guitar underneath. Mm-hmm. What he used to have is he had a Rickenbacker double... Yeah, bass, double neck with bass, bass and six-string guitar, yeah. That's just kind of an interesting thing. Great song. Great lyrics by Neil. If you listen to the lyrics, well... There are people that are going to know what he's talking about, and there are people that won't know what he's talking about. But I think it's brilliant because if you don't know what he's talking about, well, they're a rock band that tours the world. They go to play all over all over the place. So, so they've been in Bangkok, they've been in Thailand, they've been in Jamaica or whatever. But if you know what's going on, the lyrics are very clever. There's a lot of implied. It's things. a drug song, just yeah, so of you course, know. Yeah, yeah. of course. But I think in this podcast, this is the first real introduction we're giving to the brilliant lyrics of Neil Peart. Yeah, it's a drug song, but his cleverness in his writing really comes out in this song. It's one of my favorites. Let's listen to my number 10, Passes to Bangkok. Anyway, that was number 10, A Passage to Bangkok, the true number 10. Anyway, Alan, what is your number 10? My number 10 is off of the Roll the Bones album that was released in 1991. It's called Ghost of a Chance. Is it Roll the Bones? Oh. (laughs) I love the tasty opening hook and then the chunky rolling groove they settle into for the verses. The pre-chorus ups the intensity and then drops into a beautiful breakdown chorus with great melody and rhythm. The guitar hooks are infectious. Soloing is inspired. Getty's singing is smooth and melodic. And his bass tone is amazing, deep and clear. I love the shifting rhythm and meter that Neil directs like the conductor of an orchestra. This is not a typical Rush song. It's more like an almost pop ballad type Rush song. It's, It's kind of a love song, really. But it's done brilliantly. I think this type of song gives them the chance to kind of 
slow down, find that relaxed groove where you just close your eyes and play. Very listenable song, great songwriting. And also, this is a song that I highly recommend the live versions. There's a couple out there. Great stuff. Yeah, I think uh, what Neil would say, he said, um, here are all the things we go through in life, the people we meet, it's all by chance. It's the corners we turn, the places we go, and the people we meet there. So I'm saying there's a ghost of a chance it can happen. And the odds are pretty much against it, but at the same time, a ghost of a chance sometimes does come through, and people do find each other and stay together. Mm-hmm. We were talking about Roll of Bones, and Roll of Bones is, a, is an album where you can get the different sort of feels from them. They stretched out and they tried to do things. And I think that they were successful in doing that with Ghost of a Chance. And they were successful Agreed. actually in Roll the Bones to some degree too. Mm-hmm. Let's listen to Ghost of a Chance off of Roll the Bones. <laughs> It's interesting, I think, as they were becoming a staple of the progressive movement, I see them throw back to a Floyd, or I see they throw back even some early Genesis and some of their stuff, but obviously it's later on, but this, I can hear the Floyd influence when they do that whole washdown. I'm like, Mm -hmm. oh, that's so good. It's just like that very ethereal, very, and the breakdown in it, I don't know if that's the part you'll hear, but it flows through and you get that sort of, ah. And you're kind of floating along with it. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. And the version from uh, Snakes and Arrows is just amazing. Yeah. Live. Okay, Alan, what's your number nine? My number nine, this is some song. And I don't even know if I'm pronouncing it correctly. La Villa Stringiato from the Hemispheres album released in 1978. This is a classic Rush instrumental this isn't just a song. It's a three-piece hard rock orchestral piece. These guys are not limiting themselves to verse, chorus, and bridge in their songwriting. They're thinking in terms of movements and scores. They're approaching it like composers. When I played in the school orchestra as a kid, there would sometimes be very dissimilar movements in the pieces we played. And you can hear that in this piece as well, with different timings, different techniques, styles, genres and plenty of their hard rock roots thrown in for good measure. It's and interesting, just like, like this is broken down to your point. This is 12 sections to the song. Yeah. And for me, from the beginning, where it starts with that acoustic flamingo intro, the song itself is a masterpiece. It's, it is. It is. Even the synthy parts work in the song as it transitions from the flamingo, and the drums build, and energy explodes with that heavy guitar form that mm-hmm. Alex comes through it. It's so tasty. Like, YYZ, and we're not talking about that yet, or we may not talk about that or whatever. That is a a showcase for Neil and for Getty with Alex in it. La Via Strangiato is an Alex Lyson showcase. And the rest of the people are in it, and obviously Neil and Getty are phenomenal in it, but it's a guitar-driven masterpiece. Absolutely. I was always amazing how they transitioned to parts and the ambient paired with the bluesy and he has Gilmore expired lines and then the keys come in and it hits that muted note and he builds to one of my favorite guitar lines in that whole thing, that powerhouse that he does from the Warner Brothers cartoons Mm -hmm. that they actually got contacted by the people who wrote it, uh, the original authors in the 40s. So instead of being dragged into court and everything, Rush just decided to go and pay them anyway so it was kind of interesting that they <laughs> it, like they said hey you're doing that he goes here let me put your you know what it does sound kind of like that so i'll put your credit on there and let's give you they were very cool with it and they're like thank you for writing that uh because it, it did have that little warner brothers taste in it it's just amazing it's for me it's one of the best instrumentals ever written by anybody take that beethoven i mean it, it's really it's really phenomenal you're right about the musicianship. Um, it, it, it's it's a given with Rush. Virtuosity on every instrument. I wrote in my notes, a masterpiece collage of all things Rush, individually and collectively. Neil said about this song, he said, I think we spent more time working on this song 
than the entire Fly By Night album. Mm-hmm. <laughs> For me, it's just perfection. And let's just say it's on my list somewhere. <laughs> and it's not at number nine, sorry. You can hear me talk about it. And you can feel my excitement about yeah, it. Yeah. It is such, ah, so good. It, it was very difficult to order this list. Sure, sure. No, because they have so many good songs. And you know, I look at this and I, and I think it doesn't deserve to be at number nine. It deserves to be higher, but so do other songs. Yeah, no, I so, get it. I, I'm, I'm totally with you. For me, it's the guitar mm-hmm. as the locus of this song that really just... And Hemispheres generally, I love. This is Alice number nine. La Via Estrangiado. Here, let's listen. So that's Alice number nine. La Vida Estrangiado. Excellent song. Excellent. Absolutely. Okay. My number nine is off of the Signals album. And this is the one song that impacted me as a teenager. Mm. You're talking 82, right? And I probably heard it more like 84. Subdivisions off of uh, Signals. In the high school halls, in the shopping malls, conform a be cast out. The whole thing spoke to me as a teen in life, right? right. It, it's all those pressures that... Life in the suburbs. Yeah, and that's where I was. That's what I was doing. I had moved from Queens, New York to New Jersey in suburbia from the city. It really spoke to me. I think it's among their best lyrics. Musically, this isn't so amazing, but... It still has good rhythm and overall pace. If there wasn't a solo in this song, you may not have known Alex was there. <laughs> but I really like it. The keys are nice. It's good. So The song is full of melody from all instruments, including the vocals. I love the chordal melodies that Alex and Getty create on guitar and keys in this song. Getty's keyboard skill has really improved over previous albums, I think. I didn't realize... When when I'm seeing Getty play his keyboard with his feet, play his bass, and sing. But he actually does use some tracks. Some of those are automated. But they trigger him on stage. They trigger him on stage, yeah. They trigger him live. But I was like, oh my gosh, how on earth is he playing that keyboard part? You know, or whatever. Or they have Alex play some of the keyboard parts, too. Yeah. yeah. I think in this song, he if on stage, he'll play the keyboard. So he's literally playing the keyboard yeah. for most of it. But yeah, go ahead. And his singing has also improved over previous albums. Uh, the quality and maturity of his voice is right up there with the rest of the instruments in the band, in my opinion. On keys, he's getting some really nice voicings from his Oberheim synthesizer, which was popular in the early 80s. Sure. The strings especially are nice and lush, and he uses the keyboard to set the mood of the song and create kind of a soundscape that Alex launches off of on guitar. And the song is off to the races with Neil driving the bus. The bass lines are killer. The song just kind of takes you away on a little melodic musical journey. And like you said, the lyrics are are Neil's commentary on life in the suburbs. Absolutely. (laughs) But let's listen to Subdivisions, Off of Signals, my number nine. That's my number nine, Subdivisions. Okay, so my number eight is my first song off of Moving Pictures. Mm, which one? Huh. Well, there's hardly any good songs on Moving Pictures. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this is the other main instrumental that I love ah. by Rush. There's Javier Strangiato and this song, YYZ, based on the airport code for Toronto's Pearson International Airport. The interesting thing is how they do the intro of the song 
the beat that he's using is the Morse code for YYZ. For the those three letters. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's listening to it. I've always loved the song, but I didn't realize when I first heard it that that was the Morse code. That was the actual rhythm for the song. And besides that, there's still so much to love about this song. I always liked how the bass and guitar play so tightly together in the song. The bass work is phenomenal. The way they craft each of the parts of this song, and it gels together so beautifully. And to top it off, there's this wonderful Eastern section where they it gets all vibey. Oh, I love it. I absolutely love that section, that Mediterranean-flavored mm-hmm. guitar solo mm-hmm. in the first bridge. The second synthesizer bridge is beautiful. And then we're back to more shredding in the song. I yeah, mean, yeah. shredding, shredding, shredding in that song. This, this is Russ just going for it. This is three brilliant musicians doing what they do best. The musicianship is over-the-top phenomenal. The song has become iconic over the years as a gold standard of rock virtuosity. There's a little saying in our culture, can't touch this. Well, try to touch this, and good luck well, with that. Well, that's an MC Hammer saying, in these, fairness. These guys can and it's play. Fun, and it's funny that you bring up a rap saying. <laughs> do, 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 do. You know what? Can't touch this. Mm-hmm. No, you know, I, I'm, I'm totally with you. It's interesting. The way they wrote this is Getty and Neil wrote it together, and they came up with pretty much the whole song. Mm-hmm. And Alex was off doing something. And he came back and Alex added his flavor to it and brought it up a level. Right. Neil and Getty got together and just to jam. And then they said, well, let's throw in the, the Morse code, you know, rhythm from, uh, for the... by the way, they pronounce it YYZ. YYZ, that's correct. That's what over, the, over the radio, Z sounds too much like other letters. So they have to ch- change the pronunciation so nobody mistakes it. No, all Canadians else. say when they say Z, there's no Z in Canada. It's Z. That, that's Z. how Canadians say Z. Uncle Z. A, B, C, D, E, X, Y, Z. It's like it's saying A at the end of the sentence. <laughs> You're going to go to Y, Y, Z, A? A. <laughs> and Getty always said the, the reason he loved this song is every time he played it, it reminded him of going home. Yes. Because whenever they would see Y, Y, Z on their tag. On their luggage. Yeah, the tags on their they luggage. They knew they would be going home. Let's listen to Y, Y, Z off of moving page. So good. All right, Alan, what's your number eight? My number eight is another song that deserves to be higher on the list, but there's just too many good songs. Uh, It's also my first pick from the Moving Pictures album. It is Limelight. The opening guitar riff is unmistakable. Hey, I think we're pretty much close to matched. This is my number seven. So this is really close. So it's within one. So we're all good. Go. The opening guitar riff is unmistakable. And then the bass comes in with that root fifth octave bouncy feel Mm -hmm. that parallels the guitar. Really catchy intro passage that also serves as a turnaround to the song. I like the clean tone, broken chords. Alex plays in the pre-chorus. Yep. It really complements and contrasts with the aggressive dirty tone of his main guitar in the song. The instrumental bridge is a showcase for the musical creativity of all three guys. Beautiful guitar solo. Neil stretches out a bit on drums. And from there, the song ramps up in energy, the strings slowly swelling in volume to carry the song to the end. Very catchy riffs, shifting time signatures, melodies that stick in your head, lyrics that present a unique perspective on fame and make you think. Just a really well-crafted song with a kind of timeless quality to it. When this song comes on the radio, everybody knows who it is. Sure, sure. And I think it's interesting that it's this is from Neil's purview, too, because he had a much bigger issue with the limelight and people fawning after and fans coming to and getting in Alex, not so much. Yeah, the line that kind of tells the story is, I can't pretend a stranger is a long-awaited friend. That's, right, yeah, that, that, that's the gist of the song. That's right there. pretty much Neil in a nutshell. Yeah. It's interesting that he lets people in in his writing. He had a bunch of books, like Ghost Rider, and there's, there's a lot of books by Neil. He's very introverted. Mm-hmm. If you met him, you'd probably like, why is he blowing me off? But you get to know him yeah. a little bit through his lyrics. Through, through his writing. Through, yeah. All that. He quotes from Shakespeare. 
Right. All the worlds into the stage, and we were merely players. Very well read, man. Voracious readers, constantly sure. reading. And I love when Alex is playing. I love when he hits the the tremolo and he's doing the drops and the dives because I, he's playing with a, a Floyd Rose system mm-hmm. where he can do that and not go out of tune. Alex always says, I love playing this solo live, but I think I prefer listening to it on the album. It has a certain elasticity and tonality that I love when I listen to it as opposed to when I play it. It's an amazing age we're in. If you want to hear, if you're a guitar player and you want to learn how to play Limelight, you can go to somebody else to teach you. But if you go on YouTube, and I'll put the link in our system. Alex will teach you himself. On how he plays it. How do you get better than that? Anyway, Limelight. This is Alan's number eight and my number seven. Okay, it's easy to want to listen to the whole thing. <laughs> so that's your number eight. What do you have at number seven? Number seven is also from Moving Pictures, the song Tom Sawyer. Really? Okay. <laughs> Catchy riffs abound in this song, which is a great showcase for Neil's drumming wizardry and Getty's bass chops. I'm especially impressed by the excellent recorded sound quality of the drums in this song and on the entire Moving Pictures album. The drums on Tom Sawyer are ridiculous. I had a friend of mine who I was talking to, and I was talking about Tom Sawyer and how the drums were awesome. And he's like, yeah, they have one that just isolates the drums, and you can just listen to just the drums on it. Right. And it's so good. The deeper and deeper it goes in that song, the more intricate he gets in his playing. Mm-hmm. And it is such a showcase for him. There's a place at the beginning of the bridge. This is, this is, this is really clever, I think. The keyboard starts playing the bridge riff. Sure. And plays it several times. The guitar joins in with chords at first, then doubles the riff, the riff twice, and takes off on a solo, just as the bass comes in and takes over with the same riff and drives it through the bridge and the solo. It's totally seamless, no dead spots. It's great arranging for a three-piece. This is one of the most musically tightest rock songs you'll ever hear. And this was well before the time of Pro Tools and digital audio editing. These guys actually played it as tight as it is on the record in the studio without any corrections. Their timing as a band is amazing. Yeah, this is the first song I heard by Rush. I love the idea of the synth paired with that heavy guitar. And Getty's vocals just soar. Yeah. A lot of times we sit back with all oh, the musicianship, the drums, and Getty's vocals on this are amazing. The band hated this track when they first recorded it. Wow. That's what Getty said, at least. Hmm. We thought it was the worst song on the record at the time, but it all came together in the mix. Yeah. And when we wrote it, we had no idea it would touch such a nerve with people. In a way, it's the most quintessential Rush song that exists, mm-hmm. is what he says. And the band had been working with producer Terry Brown for about five years by this time, and they've got that recording process nailed. Every instrument and vocal on this entire album sounds phenomenal. Sure. And in my opinion, the album itself is one of the best rock albums ever produced, and Tom Sawyer is one of the best songs this on is, that album. This is one of the ones that I rebought on, uh, I had it on LP a long time ago, and once lost in the wilderness, but I rebought it, and you can see it's on my wall. Uh, they did an audio file version of it, and not only do you get the record, which is thick and deep grooved and sounds phenomenal on the record player but they give you the hd tracks Mm -hmm. for the song which is much better than what you would get on most things right it's such a good tune neil said it's a portrait of a modern day rebel a free-spirited individualist striding through the world wide-eyed and purposeful with the theme of reconciling boy and man in the the same way that he kind of perceives himself doing it Mm -hmm. he kind of puts himself in it but the coolest part and what we're going to listen to here south park does an intro to this song with Lil Rush. They did it on the Snakes and Arrows tour. And it wasn't something that South Park did on the South Park show. It's something that they did specifically for the live performance of Rush. And I have it here. And I think it kind of pulls in the Tom Sawyer. And then we'll hear actually them play a little Tom Sawyer. Everybody at work is jealous of me because I have 
a South Park coffee mug, and no one else does. <laughs> All right, so let's listen to Alan's number seven, Tom Sawyer. And it's always better, I think, if you watch the video. We'll have a link to it. That way you can see the characters of South Park in their glory. And that's a hilarious scene. Oh, it's so good. It's funny. I mean, it's kind of interesting how they always pull stuff together like that. But anyway, Tom Sawyer, South Park aside, is just a fantastic song. Okay, that was Alan's number seven. My number seven was Limelight, which we talked about before. And my number six is off of Permanent Waves. Back in 1980, it's a song called Free Will. I love the song. If you choose not to decide, you still have made a choice. Always kind of jumped out at me. That's just a lyric that put an imprint on me. And it's like in any election, people who decide not to vote. They'll say, oh, I didn't vote, so I don't. it doesn't matter. No, if you choose not to decide, you still have made a choice, right? It makes you think. It's a good axiom. Great use of the word axiom, by the way. And I agree. I love the descending run into the main hook. Lifeson kind of copies the vocal line. I like that a little bit in the verse. The bass solo into the guitar solo is really good. It's I don't know if it's really truly a bass solo, but it's like it drops out and the bass is on stage. And then it runs into the guitar solo. And obviously the drums are amazing. And Lifeson, by the way, in that solo shreds like a banshee. More than he does in a lot of songs. He just rips. The Lotus Land is from uh, The Odyssey by Homer. Uh, where Odysseus goes to the land of the lotus eaters and people hang out and eat lotus petals. They're perfectly happy, but basically brainless. <laughs> and the time signatures jumping in the song are from 6-4 to 7-4 to 6-4 to 7-4 to 6-4 to 8-4. <laughs> and then it kind of repeats uh, during the first verse. It's, it's crazy. Love the rhythm section and how they they move it in a new way that's not 4-4. That was the biggest jump, I think, mm -hmm. from Rutsy when he was the drummer. Most of those songs on um, Rush, the original album, are 4-4. Four, four. Straight 4-4 four, four time, yeah. I hardly find Peart giving anything in that. Right. <laughs> and the way they do their time signature changes is so seamless. You can listen without even having to realize that it's going on. By 1980, Rush was one of the best rock bands in the world. And this song just takes off right from the beginning. Get up and go. More catchy riffs and nice chordal melodies from Alex on guitar with his signature tone, which is he's developed by this time. I'm a big fan of that. It's a mixture of clean and dirty, distorted and articulate with a chimey ring to it, but still with plenty of that tubey crunch that you got to have from an electric guitar. Sure. The breakdown, then back up bridge is brilliant. Their best bridge ever, in my opinion. And one of Alex's best and most adventurous guitar solos ever. Yeah, it's it's much more aggressive. And like you were saying, lyrically, it's an exploration of Neil's philosophical viewpoint with some interesting insight thrown in. But whether you're into that or not, musically, this is a damn near perfect song. So let's listen to Free Will off of Permanent Waves. <laughs> Free will. 
Okay, that was Free Will, my number six. So, Alan, what is your number six? My number six is another song from Permanent Waves, Spirit of Radio. Good tune. Absolute guitar wizardry from Alex Lifeson. Sure. How does he do that? He's got to be one of the most underrated guitar players on the planet. There's very insightful critique on the music business and rock radio from Neil. Kick-ass bridge with a solo that's an exercise in extreme string stretching on the guitar. There's a little nod to Simon and Garfunkel. There are reggae breaks. I love the barroom rock piano at the end. This is just an all-around fun song that is as musically tight as it can possibly be. No, it's a fantastic tune. I mean, the the part you're talking about, Simon Garfunkel, is where it goes, the words of the prophets are written on the right, studio right. wall, which in the sound of silence, the words of the prophets are written on the subway walls and tenement halls right. and echo with the sound of silence. But right. he went, the words of the prophets are written on the studio wall, concert, concert hall. This song got a ton of airplay when it was current, and it is still a standard of classic rock radio. An echo with the sound of salesmen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And it's kind of interesting, there's twofold in this. There's the first part, which is based on what you mentioned just before, the radio industry and the joy of listening to radio, but also the realization that it's not all about the music. It's pretty much about how well a song sells. And then he's also talking about the bands who are on the radio promoting their stuff in this salesman sort of fashion. And he talked about Kiss in this interview I saw Mm -hmm. him do. And he's like, you can even get a Kiss casket. But I think even Gene would agree that they do market themselves quite a bit. You kind of covered most of the highlights of the song before. The guitar, the hammer-on and pull-offs, the sections where it moves into the reggae part, into the big driving hook, and especially Neil's lyrics. They were awesome as well. Yeah, I think the definitive line in the song is glittering prizes and endless compromises shatter the illusion of integrity. Yeah. That is a perfect description of what the music business was like at, 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 at that, that time. time. Yeah. It's funny. It's kind of all but gone now. But oh, one thing. This song was actually released on January 1st, 1980. Mm-hmm. So arguably, it's the first song ever released in the 80s. Wow. So that's a deep thought to think of. Uh, (laughs) I'll I'll go to sleep thinking about that tonight. Yes, think about that. (laughs) Oh, man. So let's listen to Spirit of the Radio, Alan's number six. That's Alan's number six, Spirit of the Radio, off of Permanent Waves. So, very good. What do you have at number five? YYZ. Oh, very good. So, it wasn't that far off. It was only uh, three separated. I was worried that that was going to be super high for you. Okay, so YYZ. So, for me, let's go to my number five. This song for Rush is the foundation of Rush from their progressive point of view. 2112 is the song I'm talking about off of 2112. It pretty much defined heavy metal progressive music, Mm -hmm. period. You had Genesis and you had a couple other people doing some things, but this was a whole nother thing. The seven distinct parts, the driving rips, the bills, the fills. There's an animated comic strip, which blew my mind. It's somebody did a graphic novel mimicking the song. And when you watch it in parallel to the song, much like a music video, you can't unsee it, and I will put a link to it. It is phenomenal. It even got my youngest daughter into Rush, so you need to see it if you haven't seen it. That said, the song. the Part two, the vocal section always kind of got me. You know, We are the priests of the Temple of Syrinx and stuff. And then finding the guitar under the waterfall, I think it was a master stroke to have the guitar tuning and out of tune. It really pulled you into the story. There's definitely some brilliant riffs, builds, fills, instrumentals in it. Ah, it's just great. Um, 
Alex really takes off after the presentation goes awry with the priest. You can feel the anger and internal conflict in the way he's playing during that. And the finale is almost a Who-like feel with the chords, but in a good way. Right before they go into the whole and all planets of the Solar Federation. Right. We have assumed control. We have assumed control. End. This was one of those songs that I really could have put at number one. It's that amazing. I really thought about pushing this up. Once again, this is in seven parts. The first part is really just kind of ties all the parts together. Then it's the syrinx. Then it's they find the guitar. Then shows it, as I said before. And then he sees an oracle and is really ready to die. The oracle actually calls these people to come save the planet mm-hmm. from the priests of the Temple of Syrinx. Of the seven movements in the song, I was most impressed by the sixth one called Soliloquy. Mm-hmm. Two minutes and 19 seconds long. Heavily blues influence parlayed into hard rock. It just kicks ass. Sure it's it is. highly yeah. listenable. Yeah, let's listen to a little bit. Here's my number five, the title track from My number five, 2112. My number four is Tom Sawyer. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so we discussed that already. Right. Uh, I just, I, I had to put it up near the top. It was the first song I ever heard by Rush. Yeah. So yeah. there it is. And I think a lot of people are in that boat. But okay. What do you have at number four? My number four is Free Will. Okay, good. So we're in the same ballpark. Okay. What's number three? <laughs> My number three is Closer to the Heart from A Farewell to Kings. In really? 1977. I thought long and hard about where to put this song in my list, and the more I listened to it, the more I became convinced that this really needs to be near the top. This song came at a kind of a crucial point in their career, and I think they gather a lot of fans to themselves from this song, and, and that influenced their future success. There's a lot to love about this song. Sweet acoustic 12-string intro, I love the tubular bells. The vocal melody is really nice. The bass lines are catchy and melodic. The way the song escalates, layers are added. We switch from acoustic to electric guitar. Energy is increasing. By the third verse, it's rocking. And the song keeps building up to the second guitar solo and just takes it to another level. The song starts out great and just gets better as it goes along. Great songwriting and arranging, well-crafted song, full of melody. And I do think there's a positive message in the lyrics that sometimes the heart things are more important than the head things. It's kind of interesting. I think like the intro to this song, it almost sounds like it should be on Zep 3. From a similar era. Yeah, it's 77, so I guess it's it's, it's post. A few years later. But it's that sort of vibe that I always got. And to your point, uplifting light sound, their whole idea that... Men who hold the high places must be the one to start to mold a new reality closer to the heart and kind of step away from your wealthy goals. Just live by your heart, to your point. And this is another song with great live versions online. Check them out. They really kill this song. Well, they they did an acoustic version that was pretty good with just Alex and Getty playing. Anyway, here's Alan's number three, Closer to the Heart. Okay, that was Alan's number three, Closer to the Heart. That's good. Okay, my number three is Spirit of the Radio. All right. (laughs) And my number two, this is going to be quick, the best instrumental ever by Rush, La Via Estrangiato. That's my number two. Absolutely. You know, I I had to put it up there. So, all right. So, give me your two and then I'll give you my one because I'm. (laughs) My two is subdivisions. Oh, okay. There you go. So I'll give you my one. My one, which sounds like we match. My guessing is it the one we match on. 
for me, always been a f- my favorite Rush song. The harmonics in the beginning, the story lyric, read the big sound the guitarist that picks up the pulse of you feel the the engine start you feel the race you feel the chase you feel all of that you feel excitement in finding this thing and as weird as this was in 81 as the dawn of computers driving cars and the self-driving cars come out and, and more and more regulations more and, more, and, and all cars. that stuff. So at a certain point, you're going to have self-driving cars everywhere. Yeah. And so it will probably come to the point where it may be illegal to drive your own car mm-hmm. with a, without all of the safety mechanisms and Even if the, you're sober. 5G or whatever. Yeah, because at a certain point, and this may not be in our lifetime, and it probably won't be in our lifetime, but you can see in 2112 or something, mm-hmm. you know, that it's everybody does that and somebody finding this red ferrari in a garage and taking it out on the road could cause some havoc because it doesn't have all of those safety mechanisms and it would just be an uncontrolled car loose on the streets of canada or wherever that dystopian future would be oh it was intentionally lyrically like a movie and for me i love those big open chords and the big driving I just, I've always loved that sort of vibe and that big solo with the screeching tires and all that. Oh, it's wonderful. So good. Go ahead. It's your number one, too. Red Barchetta is also my number one. Uh, As Getty says when they play it live, a song about a car. This song captured my imagination the first time I heard it. I remember hearing the lyrics and picturing the story unfolding in my mind's eye. The red Italian sports car, of course, a convertible, hidden in the barn, racing through the countryside, being discovered and chased by the authorities, a desperate attempt to escape. This song is a masterpiece on multiple levels, lyrically, musically, compositionally. The individual musical parts integrate seamlessly into the perfect vehicle for Neil's masterful storytelling. The lyrics tell the story with vivid imagery and a perfectly urgent musical score brings those images to life in your mind's eye. The very first line of the song, my uncle has a country place that no one knows about. Yeah, that's pretty cool. How cool is that? And then at the end of the song, after he makes good his escape, he tacks on a happy ending to the story in the very last line. Race back to the farm to dream with my uncle by the fireside. What rock band writes lyrics like that? Nobody writes lyrics like that. It's brilliant stuff. The instrumental bridge, among other sections of the song, is alternating bars of 4-4 and 3-4. But Neil's drumming and the way Alex phrases his guitar solo makes that time signature variation seem smooth and musically logical. The solo is brilliant. The understated strings are just right. Getty's gutsy yet melodic bass lines provide the drive and the foundation for the song and the vocal melody is the icing on the cake. The best of everything that Rush is comes together in this one song. Well said, my friend. All right, let's listen to the number one song by Rush, Red Barchetta. Okay, that's number one, Red Barchetta. So now let's go to the computer and find out what the real number one is. Hmm, Alan had Red Barchetta number one. I had Red Barchetta number one. If the computer spits out not Red Barchetta, we have a problem. <laughs> All right. No, so the we, computer has a problem. The computer, yeah, no, I know. We, the calculations have a problem. I'm sure we'll we're right. Number one. That's the one thing that we'll know is number one. The rest be interesting to find out so we're back here in five four three two one and we're back with the official dirty dozen (laughs) all right we're starting with number 12 number 12 all time from dirty dozen official ghost of a chance number 11 passage to bangkok number 10 21 12 
Number nine, closer to the heart. Number eight, limelight. Number seven, YYZ. Number six, Tom Sawyer. Number five, subdivisions. Number four, free will. Number three, La Via Strangiato. Number two, the spirit of the radio. And number one, Anthem. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Red Marchetta. Of course. <laughs> Obviously. And I'd All just right. like to say it's been great to be here for the for very nice. first podcast of Dirty Dozen Podcast of 2020. I had yeah. a great time it great. and it's been an honor. You did an awesome job. Uh, I totally can tell that you were passionate about Rush. and it, It's such an amazing band and it's it's so sad that we'll never see them play live again. Yeah, and, I agree. And Neil's passing kind of impressed on me that I really need to do my research and, and my listening and uh, do this podcast justice yeah. on his behalf. You know. No, I hear you. And for me, it, what it brought home is to stop making excuses and to go and see bands when I can. Absolutely. Because even if you have to go sit in a 40,000-seat stadium in a nosebleed to see the band. You may never be able to see them again. And if you've never seen Rush live, pick up the Snakes and Arrows DVD. It is the closest thing to seeing them live that I've ever seen. Yeah, and a time machine is very good as well. Mm -hmm. It's amazing, though. Like, YouTube, search, <laughs> search for Snakes and Arrows on YouTube. You can watch the DVD on YouTube. Free. So True. Uh, and it actually kicks money back to Rush because they get money and, for the and views. And the R30 DVD that they did in Rio is great, too. Oh, they do all that stuff. There's all these uh, documentaries and everything you ever want to pick. An album they have behind the scenes. They have classic albums for uh, moving pictures. And uh, I think they have it for 2112, too. But I know it's for moving pictures. Search any album that you want to find out behind the scenes and you'll find it there. Mm -hmm. It's it's Rush is one of the deepest wells of information on youtube that i've done since i've started doing this podcast rush is so ahead of the the, the escape on that that they have the video crews and the coverage of them doing almost every album they did besides maybe the first one and they're just nice regular guys without big egos too you know that's, that's one of the things i like about them absolutely so thank you very much for being a part of it uh, subscribe on your podcast service. Catch the next one next month. We're going to be doing uh, something fun we have planned. I'll keep it kind of quiet yet. We'll see you soon. And uh, we'll be back here on our monthly basis. And we're going to do the wheel triads are coming out again. And it's going to be a real interesting wheel triad coming out. So those of you who are fans of the wheel triad series, we're going to be doing that on YouTube coming up soon. That's going to be Jake and I. God bless. And I'll see you when we see you. Be well.